0: all right welcome back to what is and what could be with michael clark architect really excited to have you here again today appreciate you taking the time to join me once again in the raw lapel microphone attached to my clothing um and no introduction music to the podcast i promise at some point that level of production will be with us until then It's me, in the raw, talking through the experience of collaborating with architects and realizing architectural projects. We also work through the creative thinking behind the design of spaces and places. If you're a property owner with a piece of land you are looking to develop, or a building you want to add to or alter, or you're a business owner renting a commercial tenancy, then my hope is that podcast gives you confidence to move forward whilst working with your architect, designers and other collaborators. Similarly, if you are a collaborator, a consultant, an engineer, a planner, a contractor, fellow architect, a student of architecture, a musician, an artist, anyone looking to collaborate with an architect and design team, I hope that these podcasts add insights for you to use in your daily practice. All right. Here we are, still on the topic of why. Why work with an architect? And we're answering that with uh, in two ways. We're looking at what architects do and we're looking at why we do it. And the more I talk about this, the more I appreciate that we're going to revisit these two questions with each episode and everyone I interview. But for now, we're still on this topic of what we do if we're spending time with architects and the time and money involved in realizing an architectural project let's understand what it is that we do and my original focus for this episode um, has changed because i heard some uh, really great interviews over the weekend and um, stories relating to uh, architectural projects and other things i'm looking into at the moment and i thought what a shame that in the last episode i spoke to concept design ...as something you could liken to an entree to a great meal. And I spoke about the mechanics of a concept design... ...what it is, when we do it, why we do it... ...but at no point did I give you insights... ...little tidbits as to what it could taste like. What are the flavours? What are the ingredients? I spoke about the overall structure of what's being prepared... ...but I thought it was a shame that I didn't give some insights. And so today on that basis... I'm gonna share some stories focusing on the idea of your architect, your designer, looking for problems at that concept design stage and turning those problems into design principles or responding to those problems um, in a way that it becomes a design principle. Now, I'm not going to pretend that this is unique to architectural practice by any stretch of the imagination There are many professions that do this, look at risks, and for every risk, you look for an opportunity. I'm gonna talk about how we as architects do it in the context of space and place. And I'm gonna give two examples of some of my architectural heroes, and then give three examples from my own practice. Okay, so the first example um, from one of my heroes is Carla Scarpa a famous Italian modern architect who was approached by Corini Stampalia Foundation to look at Corini Stampalia Palace in Venice, Venice, Italy. Uh, in 1949, he was approached, but for whatever reason, I'm not going to go into a history story here, but it wasn't realized till 1963. And the problem in their vision, in their brief that they listed, not a problem with the brief, but a problem with the space, was that it flooded. During high tide in Venice, you could understand that the space floods and Scarpa was tasked uh, to respond to this. And instead of developing restrictive devices to stop the water getting in, he designed troughs and gutters and other elements that allowed the water in high tide to flow through the space. And become a feature, become a material, if you like, a transient material that is a material that's sometimes not there in the space and I'm reading a quote here from a little book I grabbed uh when I was at Corini Stampalia. It's Carlos Scarpa at the Corini stampmpaalia um and it's got a quote here from Carlos Scarpa uh in relation to this very matter where he says. Uh, to the, uh, the client. Um, high water inside the building, the same as in the rest of the city, only we must contain and control it, use it as a source of light and reflection. So the problem was it flooded. It became the catalyst for a design principle, a, res- a response to that problem became a design solution by saying, let's feature the water. In the space let's control it let's temper it let's draw it in if you ever have a chance to go to Italy I recommend you go to Venice almost goes without saying but if you're in Venice go to Corini Stampalia try to get there during high and low tide I was there during high tide I saw water in the space I'm trying to remember I couldn't find my photos I don't think I've actually been there in low tide to see that same space in that different light but if you can Try to get there in those different settings. So that's um, Carla Scarpa. Remember, I'm I'm going through short stories. Another example is Falling Water by architect uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. I dare say a lot of listeners are familiar with the work of Frank Lloyd Wright, a famous American architect, modern American architect, very influential, and so too was his um, building Falling Water. So you're probably familiar with that. It was for client Edgar J. Kaufman, and it was in Bear Run, Pennsylvania, completed in 1939. Now, the problem that the client listed is um, somewhat more a creative problem than as practical a problem as what Scarpa had to deal with. And that was the Kaufmans had this plot of land, and on that land was a waterfall. And the client's family loved that waterfall. It was very special to the family. And so the problem was where to put the house that Wright was commissioned to design relative to the waterfall, where to position the house so as to maximize the view of the waterfall, the relationship to the waterfall. Is it to the north, to the south, to the west? Is it hundreds of meters away? What's the best location? And Wright said, we should put the house on top of the waterfall. You know, if you really wanna maximize the connection, let's make the waterfall an extension of the house and the house an extension of the waterfall. You're always experiencing the waterfall when you're in this house. Now, I'm not gonna talk throughout these stories into detailed resolution. You know, we could look at geotechnical issues with that decision, uh, structural issues with that decision, architectural planning issues and material selection issues associated with that decision and we'd have a great episode. But I just want to say, as a story, it was this response to this design problem uh, that they carried through for the duration of the right through to the completion of the project. And it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because I get excited about this phase. I've mentioned this before, and I apologize if I'm a little bit too enthusiastic, but I can't help it. I, I love what I do. And I also really love this stage, this initial transaction with the client, an exchange of ideas, the concept design phase. Um, I recently engaged a graphic artist to look at something for me and I sent her this photo and this photo had some text I'd put on it and I didn't like the look of the text. I said, can you review the font? Can you review the font placement? Can you look at the overall composition? And she said, sure, but can I have the photo as well? And I was like, uh, yeah, she said, I'm going to play with the photo. I was like, well, hang on a second. Uh, I, I said, keep the water out. And I went, hold on, if I, if I really do believe in this idea of having this exchange with a professional who sees the world differently based on their experience, then I should give this a go. And lo and behold, she said the issue um, was not so much the font. She did look at the font, but it was the overall image, the overall composition It wasn't speaking to my vision to the level that she thought I was speaking to or I was suggesting. And that's why she looked at, you know, more than just the font and came back with something that I thought was quite special. Um, So, yeah, that exchange was special. And as I said in previous episodes, I truly hope that you all get to experience this, if not with an architect, if not with me or with a colleague or with other designers out there, you know, to hear what I'm talking about and think how could that work in your world or if you get a chance to experience with a graphic artist, you know, someone who's writing your biography, it's quite special to have someone take your vision, your brief and respond to it based on their background, their training, their creative um, skill sets. All right, so now I'm gonna talk about some projects in my own practice. And I've been really mean here and narrowed them down from an initial list that was, I can't remember now, six or seven. And the episode was looking a little bit long. So I've I've, I've stripped it down now to three. Three short stories relating to concept designs I've presented in my own work. Now, concept design presentation is a really interesting moment, an exciting moment. I had experience with concept design in other practices but not until, you know, three, four, five, six years out of university. And around that time I had experience in presenting concept designs with, you know, practice directors and more senior staff to clients, but certainly not in the first part of my career. So it's somewhat of a fresh experience in the context of my overall career, and I really enjoy it. And the first one I'm gonna talk about is maybe the third or fourth um, client concept design presentation in my own practice, in the context of my own practice, not my career. I can't remember at that stage how many concept designs I'd presented to clients, but this was the third or fourth in my own practice. And it was to clients David and Emma. David and Emma owned a, a fully attached terrace in Birch Grove, Sydney. Birch Grove is uh, inner west Sydney, near Balmain, And when I say fully attached, it means that the side boundary walls of their terrace, their terrace house, were shared with the adjoining neighbor. That's what we mean by fully attached. You look at the house and it goes building to building, building to building, no gaps. Now, they bought this um, house with an approved first floor addition, an approved town planning application for a first floor addition. That first floor addition included a bedroom. But it didn't include a bathroom, didn't include an ensuite. And so they approached me to say, we want to add a bedroom, sorry, a bathroom to this bedroom, which makes complete sense. You're in the first floor of your house, and you know, the impracticality of having to go downstairs to use the bathroom is is obvious. And the first time I sat with David to talk about this, it was interesting because the project seemed more at that first exchange where we spoke to the pillars, time, cost, quality, and quantity. Uh, But he said something that he and Emma are interested in is light, outlook, ventilation, spaciousness. And it's like, that's fantastic, David. Thank you for sharing that. To be honest, it's my default position as an architect, but thank you for sharing it. And I thought to myself, it's really beautiful that he shared that Because how does a client know that's an architect's default position? And there's some architects where it's not their default position. It's also not the vision for every client. So it's fine. It's completely justified. But what was interesting is that we're talking about that in relation to a bathroom. An ensuite. So not a big bathroom necessarily. Anyway, I worked up a return brief and a client-architect agreement, and I got engaged and started the concept design. And as I said in previous episode, part of that is doing diagrams. And that diagramming, if you like, is me mining for problems or mining for opportunity, excavating, like I'm digging for gold, if you like. And I was doing this and I was working it up and it was three or four days before the concept design presentation and something wasn't resonating properly with me. It was like, something's not quite right here. There's an aspect to the approved DA that I don't think aligns with their brief, with their vision. This vision of light, air, outlook, etc. And it was because the proposed, uh, the approved DA, and this is no criticism of that original architect, original client, they had their own vision, they had their own brief, they might've had issues with council, I'm not sure. But the bedroom in this approval had a very small window to one side. And that window directly looked outside, so it directly got light, it directly got air when you opened it. But it was very small. There was a bigger window next to that, but that window looked onto a stair void. So this bedroom faced to the rear of the property, not towards the street. It was tucked below a roof line, so that when you looked from the street, it just looks like the original roof. And the outlook was towards the rear, but in front of the bedroom was the stairs leading up to the bedroom. And so that meant that this window looked onto the stair void that then had a window that looked to the outside. Now, sometimes this can be fine, but I just thought, that's, that's not, I don't think that's good enough. I don't like seeing through a window to a space and then looking outside. And I put pens down because there was an issue. My son, who was two and a half, he transitioned from being more clingy at night time to his mum and started to be slightly more clingy to his father. And so the usual situation is that I would sit with him whilst he fell asleep. Now, anyone who has has done this either cuz you're a parent or you know people that have children, it's a test of endurance. <laughs> and it's a test of endurance that personally I often fail, much to the chagrin of my wife who expects me to, you know, do things with her after the children have gone to bed, but We sit there in the dark and usually I say I'm older I've got more stamina You're gonna fall asleep before me And three hours later I wake up in the dark late at night Thinking well I lost that one yet again And I didn't want that to happen here because when I went away And I was realizing that there was disconnect because I'd put the pen down And because I would put the pen down that opened my mind up to a shortfall in what was happening but I didn't want to call that a night. I don't know about you, but at university for me, often when I've, uh, I'd, I'd realized a solution and I'd realized that just as I'd tucked myself in um, on a cold winter night and I thought, oh, I've just thought of something. I've got to get up and draw it, write it, or, you know, document it. I'm like, it's all right, I'll, I'll do it in the morning. And Every time I did that I woke up in the morning. I completely forgot the idea So I didn't want that to happen here So through negotiation with my son and and my wife we worked something out and I got up and I went back to the drawing board And I said look I know I'm engaged to look at the bathroom But that doesn't feel like enough So I'm going to design the bathroom and I'm going going to position the bathroom and I'm going to make that work uh, Sufficient for discussion, but I'm also going to look at this relationship and let's just pause for a second Let's think about the stair. Stair needs a ceiling. That ceiling can be sloping at the same profile of the slope of the stair. So if you draw a stair in your mind and you join the dots between what we call the nosing of each tread or the going, which is the part where your foot steps, if we connect those dots and we form a line and we offset that line, that line needs to be at least 2.1 meters from the stair. I think in this case I made it 2.15, a little bit of builder's tolerance. And then I thought when I did that and I marked it up on a drawing, there was actually space for a window above that. So let's keep going. Ceiling, sloping, ceiling structure. Um, above that, we could create another uh, lined element that could be the window sill, a sloping window sill. Now, when you're in the bedroom, that window sill could sloped such that it could be a day bed or what we call a deep window reveal that's part of the opening and it's deep because it's above the stair and the stairs like you know a meter wide-ish and suddenly we had a window that was a big generous window in the bedroom that provided direct outlook and direct access to ventilation and i was quite excited if you want to see this uh, go to my website Michael Clark Architects and look at the Birch Grove project as a what we call an exploded axonometric that shows how this works. Uh, it's also on my Instagram handle, Clark Architect. Um, and I thought' let's, let's go for this. let's work the bathroom out, but let's present all of this to the client. And so a few days later I met David, I met Emma. I'd met Emma for the first time and there was a justified air of tension linked to incredulity, disbelief, uncertainty. You know, can this architect actually come up with something that works for me and my family? And I say justified because they don't know me. You know, I've got experience and I've showed them precedence in my portfolio and they've engaged me. But who knows what the exchange is going to be like? Anyway, I said to both of them, you know i've got i've got this response in relation to the bathroom but just in the context of everything else the approved da i wanted to ask a couple of questions and i knew i'd done the right thing because emma straight away said we're not wedded to that original da and i thought great you know i've my intuition if you like developed from years of experience um linked to this idea that the da approved didn't work with their vision was right And i showed it to them and i remember the energy in the room shifting from one of of doubt and tension to you know elation enthusiasm excitement you know where do we take this how do we move forward how do we make that happen it was a real exciting exchange for me it was a very defining point in my my practice all right so that's the first example um I'm finding it really hard to look at one other example I wanted to suggest. And actually, I forgot to say these examples I'm putting forward. If you're a collaborator, if you're a client, current client, former client, and you don't hear your project mentioned here, it's no reflection of anything other than the fact that I wanted to keep a limit on how much I talk through today. Uh, I'm almost certain I'll discuss those other projects and the concept design components in some other context in some other episode, but it's simply because of time constraints. All right, the second one, it's a good segue talking about this idea of life and outlook was for Suzanne and Gavin and their, their house of Bondi. Bondi, a famous suburb in Sydney in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, uh, a coastal suburb close to, um, well, the beach, Bondi Beach, famous Australian beach. Anyway, they owned a property in Glebe that they'd uh, developed with the assistance of an architect, a fantastic firm that I used to work for, highly critically acclaimed firm I used to work for. And I was the project architect on that project. And they had a house in Glebe, which is inner city, Sydney, Um, that had what we call two street frontages. It was a fully attached house again, similar to um, David and Emma's, meaning that the two side walls are fully shared with the neighbour, fully attached to the neighbour along those side boundaries. Now, if you draw a diagram as I'm drawing here in front of me for the benefit of no one, I find it very hard to present anything without a pencil particularly my clutch pencil, it's my go-to thing. Um, and it gives me the opportunity to draw. But one of the street frontages uh, had a building, well, we proposed a building, and the other's hard on that boundary, and the other one, we did the same thing. And then we created a gap between them, which was the main, or well, in fact, the only external um, area in the project. And it's what we call an internal courtyard, inside the property. And this was important because if you draw a rectangle vertically and you draw a little rectangle to the top of that rectangle, which is the building to the front of the property, and then you've got another space that's the courtyard, the last rectangle I'm going to draw to the bottom of this rectangle, to the bottom of this property, was the main living space. It was a wider part of the property. It was the main living space and that courtyard opened up to northern um, light to get that deep within... This, um, not not only the courtyard, but into the main living space. And that's what they'd lived with. Direct northern light in this property for over 12, 13, 14 years. And so when they approached me to look at the Bondi house, the Bondi house was a semi-detached house. Meaning that one of the walls is shared with the neighbour One of the side boundary walls is shared with the neighbor and the other side, the other wall parallel to the longer boundary, the side boundary um, is set off that boundary by a certain amount that allows you to walk down what we often call a side passageway where you put your bins or you take your garden waste to the backyard. That's what we call a semi-detached project or house. Now, the length of this ground floor of this existing house was 22 metres. None of the lengths for the Glebe house were anywhere near that. I think both were barely 10, 12 metres from memory. And then there was a 19 metre, let's call it 20 metre backyard. So draw a vertical rectangle, 22 metres long, leave a space... 20 meters above that for the rear boundary and that's their backyard and it faced north really great orientation anyway um i looked at it and i thought oh how do you get northern light deep into a 22 meter long building you know whilst you can get it at that um, back line if it's 22 meters and we're actually thinking about an open plan kitchen living dining that in this case was 11 meters long you're going to get some drop off to the rear of that space in terms of light quality and air quality, and I thought that was a shame. Yes, you can put windows to the side passageway, but they're facing a fence. After that fence is a very tall apartment, or not, there's taller apartments, but it's a big, it's an apartment block. So the outlook's not great, the light quality's not great. So that's, to me, was not good enough. And I remember when I met Gavin and Suzanne for dinner at my house prior to presenting the concept design, and they said, oh, how's it all going? What are your initial thoughts? And I said, look, um, I'm thinking about Northern Light and how to draw it into the space. You know, it's quite a long footprint. And Gavin said, oh, you made me think now we bought a property that's too long. I'm worried about light. like, that's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm not saying quick. Put the for sale sign up. Ring the real estate agent. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, uh, you know, true to this podcast, I'm mining for design problems. I'm excavating for design problems so that I can use them as a catalyst for a response that will inform the design. In rela- in this case, access to Northern Light. They've known it for so long at Glebe. It's like, you know, let's let's make sure we capture it. And the way I thought about it actually came to me when, again, uh, putting my son to sleep, um, he'd asked me to uh, read him a daddy story. And what that means is I improvise a story, lights off again, sitting next to him, and I I make up a story uh, that settles him and puts him to sleep. And it doesn't put him to sleep because the story's boring. Often the story's full of too much drama and often works the other way around. Initially, I improvised these stories. Um, but the problem with that is that, you know, your creative mind is processing and it's actually hard work in a dark room. And I kept falling asleep. And he'd say, Dad, what, what's happening? Um, so I moved on to embellishing stories that I knew or remembering stories that I knew. And if you listen to episode... Um, Uh, You'll see that I did that in a couple of stories. I I love doing that. I did want to become an actor at one point. So drama in my life is Not in my life so much in the stories I tell is something I enjoy doing But as I was telling him this story again I put the tools down and I thought to myself of a diagram a diagram that imagines a highlight window a highlight window that is not parallel so in the same vertical plane as the sliding doors off this new kitchen living dining space. It's three or four meters back, so it's staggered. And because it's staggered, and it's a highlight window that faces north, it means that you're getting northern light in through those doors at um, door height level. And then the highlight window, which is pushed back three meters, four meters or so, allows northern light to get in deeper to that space. Uh, highlight window means a window that is not connected to floor level. So it's sitting up high level. In this case, it's not even connected to another part of the facade, another set of sliding doors. And to help you imagine this, I'm going to do something, you know, complex maybe for a podcast. I'm going to ask you to either in your mind, if you're driving or doing chores, or literally on a piece of paper in front of you, if you have space for that, mental space, and you're not busy doing something, as well as listening to this let's draw this out as a diagram so first let's draw a stick figure so that's fairly straightforward we've all done stick figures this is you in the space now at the foot at the feet of that stick figure let's draw a horizontal line and that horizontal line in this case is floor level now to the right of that horizontal line let's draw vertical lines and make them taller than the stick figure And these lines represent the door of the living space now at the tip of that so the top of those doors draw a horizontal line that incidentally floats maybe about a meter meter and a half above head height that is the ceiling to the first portion of this living space now draw a little bit of vertical At the left and end of that line you've just drawn that is the ceiling and that's the extent of solid portion now at the tip of that vertical draw another vertical that's a a meter high or so and that's the highlight window now if you imagine the sun let's draw the sun as a circle somewhere to the top left of the page the sun's coming through the um, the doors and it's giving light to that first part but it's also coming through the highlight window to get light deeper into the space. And this was um, a diagram I'd imagined when I was working, talking about this story with my son. I think even the story moved towards Northern Lights and the importance of Northern Light in whatever story I was telling. I can't remember the story now. You know, I might have been said, saying something about Paw Patrol and Paw Patrol's access to Northern Light. I, I can't remember. I'm making that up. Uh, And then after that, I didn't fall asleep with him. I went and tested this in section and it became this interesting initial component that I held onto and presented to them Uh, with their approval. We maintained it for the whole project and the resolution of that, I'm not going to go into again, um, but how that had to be positioned to still allow for some conflicting elements, some competing interests. Um, some conflicting design parameters, which were on the first floor, a balcony. A balcony needs a floor, a balcony needs a balustrade. Um, how do we position all that such that we still get this highlight window to work and we get the, balust- the balcony to sit as far to the rear of the property um, or the rear of the ground floor as possible so as to maximize the length of the first floor. And that was a really exciting moment to share. You know, because I went back to Glebe and I thought, oh, let's do an internal courtyard, 22 meter long building. Oh, surplus mater- surplus floor area. Let's cut out some floor area. But then I thought, I've got 20 meters of backyard and I'm saying you need more external floor area. That's a bit of a hard sell. And then I thought, well, hold on, I can do the internal courtyard and I can make the portion of ground floor between the internal courtyard and the back of um, the ground floor. So imagine I'm splitting up the ground floor now into two parts, one at the top, one at the bottom. I can offset that lost area by pushing the ground floor further up the page. Well, I couldn't do that because the controls for that, um, that site said that you need to align your ground floor, re-set back the building line of your ground floor with the neighbor. So that wasn't an option. Anyway, that was an exciting moment in the um, concept design phase. Lots of other exciting moments on that project. But that was one of the first that came to me in this diagram that I thought through when putting my son to bed. And again, if you wanna look for more information on that, go to my um, website or my Instagram handle. Now, the last one was with Abs and Shannon. And it was for their Winston Hills project, again, alterations and additions, uh, for their project in uh, Winston Hills. Winston Hills is near Parramatta, so Western Sydney. And when I met Abs and Shannon, and I sat with them to talk about the project, the brief, the vision, the pillars, there was two dogs. And those dogs, I could tell the dogs were special to the family. Now, in defense of David and Emma, they actually had a dog, and that dog was um, deaf, um, but they had a smaller property, a smaller project and the relationship, you know, it wasn't necessarily as uh, close from what I could tell. Now, offense to David and Emma, they love their dog, as with um, Abs and Shannon. Gavin and Suzanne actually are aspiring to get a dog and it was an interesting moment working out an elegant doggy door. But with Abs and Shannon, when I first presented, they had these two dogs, Molly and Ruby, American pocket bullies, and they really were part of that initial brief. And I thought, I can't just propose an external deck that has a kennel and say, that's the dog's room. Here's a big backyard that they can run around in. That just didn't feel right. Shannon sent me video footage of the dogs at doggy daycare. I was like, wow, there's a thing called doggy daycare. Everyone out there that has dogs saying, well, wow, we've had that for ages. Yep, I'm sorry, I don't have pets. I didn't know this. When I looked into it, I saw footage of them at doggy daycare. Shannon sent me photos of the dogs having cake on their birthday with their friends sitting around like it's this incredible community. And I thought, I've got to find something that speaks to this in the concept design. They've got to feature. And so I, uh, I did some research on doggy daycares and I found this incredible doggy daycare farm where you can send your dog there for the day. And if you have a chance, look this up. It had footage of the owner and operator of this farm um, running up a ramp in a pool deck, doing a U-turn and then running and jumping into this magnesium pool with five or six dogs in tow. And I just kept watching this, it was so special. I thought, how exciting for these dogs to just run up, jump in a pool, run up, jump in a pool, run up, jump in a pool. And I thought, I've got to include this. There's a design problem here, which is how to include the dogs. And we're going to do a pool. What can we do in relation to this? And there was elements of the existing house that had only been recently developed, bathroom and a laundry. So they could not move, if you like, in the proposal. And one, one aspect of the proposal was to shift the main living space to the rear of the property so that it could open out to the rear yard and the private open space. At the moment, the open, sorry, the main living space was faced towards the front of the house. So when I kept that existing and I flipped this living dining to a different location, I was able to set up uh, an aligned corridor, a long corridor that went from front door to back door and have the back door look straight onto the pool, open straight up onto the pool. Such that, if you think about superheroes that have alter egos, you know, Clark Kent is in civilian clothes. And you see footage of him, or comics of him, running and stripping and churning into Superman as, as he's running along. Same with Peter Parker and Spider-Man, I'm a Sucker for some superhero stories for those that know me. And I I thought, how incredible could it be that you could come home, run down this corridor with the dogs in tow, get into your swimming gear, keep running, keep running, and then jump into your pool with your dog. And I remember when I presented this, the dogs were actually there. You know, I clicked on the video showing the doggy daycare farm footage. Dogs were barking. There was footage of Molly and Ruby. Uh, They were barking, their ears raised, and they really featured in the presentation. And it was this really exciting exchange. This exchange linked to this idea of finding an initial design problem and using that as a catalyst for a design principle that we brought up at the concept design phase. All right. So that's three short stories relating to my projects. Two short stories showing that, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel here necessarily uh, architects have been doing this for some time um, i do hope that you have the opportunity to work with an architect and to experience this in real time for yourself for your partner for your family for your dogs for your children um, or some other uh, creative undertaking or undertaking related to some aspect of your life this exchange is really special Anyway, that's it for me for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to What Is and What Could Be with Michael Clark Architect. See you next time.